0: Good morning, Redeemer. Uh, my name is Jesse, and it's, uh, I'm a deacon here and the intern. Uh, it's been a while since I've had the privilege to get up here and to preach to you all, and I can't say enough, but thank you. Uh, it's an honor and a joy just to be a part of such a solid community that, that really loves Jesus and... And wants to live for him. Uh, and also just to see how much we've grown and the changes that we've gone through over the past three and a half years of existence. It's just been um, awesome to see. When Chris told me that uh, we were going to be taking a break from Romans and doing standalone messages, I'm like, I have no idea on what to preach on. Right? He just goes, well, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, the whole Bible, I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. So, I, I was, I was thinking a lot just on that growth we've had and some of the growing pains even that, that come along with that. Um, we're no longer a small group where everybody knows everyone. Um, don't get me wrong, I think that's good, but it can be hard sometimes to feel, to feel unified with more people. We're gonna get naturally just more more backgrounds. We're going to have a bunch of new Christians, which is awesome. Old Christians, we're going to have uh, many young people and a couple old people. We're start, starting to see some more gray out there, which is awesome. Um, but it can be tough sometimes to feel like maybe we're we're all on the same page, moving toward... Move, my, yeah, if you're laughing at my dad. That, anyways, uh, so I knew... I knew I wanted to preach on something along the lines of unification and, um, community in Christ and kind of what that should look like and how grateful we should be with what God has graced us with here. Um, so I was thinking about that and then a couple weeks ago I had dinner with my brother and he's getting married and sa- on Saturday. Um, and I asked him like, what's your wedding text going to be? And he said Ephesians 1 through th- 4, 1 through 3. And it just, I, it clicked. I read it and it clicked. And, uh, I had the passage. So today we're going to be walking through Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, um, and learning about the calling that we're called to as Christians, and then some of the practical things that that implies. And then we'll paint a little picture of what the basis of our unity stands on and how that propels us forward with carrying on uh, the mission of Jesus. So if you'll stand with me and open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Uh, In your rows, you can find some hardback ESV Bibles, and that's on page, the text is on page 977. If you don't have a Bible, then out on the connection table here in the gym, we have um, some Bibles that you can just take on your way out, and that's our gift to you. So, yeah, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called This is the word of the Lord. God. Let's pray, Father God. I thank you for uh, I thank you for spring break that we get a little a little rest here in this town. Um, I thank you for just bringing everyone here this morning. Um, I thank you for the community that you have blessed us with that we get to gather on Sundays and then scatter to the city on mission for you. I pray for. Uh, for our Brazil team right now, um, who's in Rio, I just ask that you bless their time, bless their, uh, their trip, and I pray that you use them in mighty ways. Um, and, for, and just overall, I just thank you so much for, for Jesus and um, that he died for us and that we, can, that we can rest in him and find new life in him, and all of this is in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So you can have a seat. Uh, before, before we dive in, I want to kind of make sure we have a clear picture of the points that I'm going to walk through. Uh, number one, I'm just going to talk kind of about our high calling, our calling as, as Christians. And then two, how we should walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And then three, that we're unified by Christ, and this propels us to be on mission. So the first point, our high calling Uh, The letter of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. This letter has two main parts to it. The first part, chapters 1 through 3, deal with some really grand truths of the Christian faith, and then starting in chapter 4, where we're at today, Paul begins to write about the function of the church and God's plan for all of history, and he starts with urging us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. This is what he says. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So it's important to note that right away, Paul is not saying we should try to earn favor in God's eyes. What he is saying is we should understand how much our position in God's favor deserves from us. So Paul is not afraid of the practical. We preach grace here and we believe in that like it's just... Nobody's business. We can do nothing to earn God's favor. It is all His work from start to finish, but Paul believes it is important for us to notice this grace and to be overjoyed and to respond appropriately. John Piper says it like this in commenting on verse 1. He says, quote, The focus is not on our worth, but on the worth of our calling. So that's what we're talking about here. Chapters 1 through 3 lay out what is meant by this high calling, right? to which we have been called. And here are some of the key verses. I'm going to put them, they're going to be up here, but I didn't write them all out just because I don't want you to feel like you have to scramble and write it all. But um, you can just write the verse references down. 1 through 4 says this, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. One seven. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. One thirteen. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit who guarantees our preservation forever. I'm paraphrasing. 2.5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive in Christ. 2.11-22, through all believers in Christ are one and are being built up together. So Paul is talking there specifically about Gentiles and Jews, but that means people from all ethnicities, All education levels, cultures, backgrounds, countries, income levels, people from everywhere and anywhere are being brought in to the church of Christ. Paul goes on to say in chapter 3 that the church here on earth is being used to make known the wisdom of God, not just here on the planet, but to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So if those first few chapters don't explain what an amazing purpose we have, been, what we've been created for, and what we've been called to as Christ followers, and I really don't know what could. Ephesians is kind of like an abbreviated version of the book of Romans that we've been studying through, right? It explains all these huge truths in just very short and beautiful ways. So that's kind of a snapshot of what God has done and is doing, and I would argue that As Christians, we have the highest calling that anyone could be called to, to be called by God to live for his glory. And what's so awesome is we don't have to measure up. We don't have to measure up to be okay. Christ already did all the work. So think about some high callings in our world today, maybe uh, a political office or an athlete with a high level exposure, a movie star, a big job, whatever. Now think about how often people fail in those positions, whether morally or they just don't get the job done. Well, we've been called to an even higher calling than any place in society can put us. And the beauty is that we can do nothing to fail God. God is working out his plan with or without us. And in a weird way, that is a freeing thing. He extends grace and mercy to us, and says, follow me, and rest in him, and live in his power. So how do we live now in a manner worthy of that calling? It's really quite amazing what, what Paul says here. He goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So there's no grand plan of like how to live in a worthy manner. In fact, all we get are just like some simple character traits. We get a couple of ways to live and that leads us to love and deeper unity. These traits are evidence of of a life that is changed by Jesus. And Paul starts with two foundational traits. First, and Probably at the foremost, we must walk in humility. This this trait is is a direct opposition to what was considered a good quality back in the time that Paul is writing, and I I would say even today, right? Before Jesus came and showed that true humility is actually a trait to seek after, the culture viewed humble people as weak, and the word literally meant like cringing and cowardly. So Christian humility comes, though, from, an under, from understanding ourselves at a deep, deep level, a kind of self-knowledge and um, coming to terms with the reality of our state as humans. William Barclay, in his commentary on Ephesians, he says this about humility. It is the virtue by which a man becomes conscious of his own unworthiness in consequence of the truest knowledge of himself. To really face ourselves can be like the most humiliating thing. Most of us like to dramatize ourselves In our heads we think that we're really not that bad or we like to be in the spotlight and we like being the hero, someone that others look up to. We like that feeling of being liked or of being needed, or maybe even desired. When, when I was younger, I had some really inflated thoughts of myself. Like, like most high school students, I started to become pretty independent, and I finally understood some things, which made me immediately think that I knew everything. High schoolers, you don't know everything. Uh, I had a girlfriend and I was getting varsity letters at a big school and big sports and I thought I was the man. I would just be like walking through my high school and I would wear sweatpants not these nice jeans you see me wearing today I'd be wearing sweatpants and that just kind of shows you how delusional I was because I thought it was cool and I would go, I'd go walking through and give a little smile to the ladies <laughs> and I would throw my peace sign to my bros and Needless to say, I had a very inflated view of myself. And then later, in, my, in, the, in the summer, going into my senior year, and throughout, honestly, the rest of my life, God has humbled me, right? Over time, I saw just massive failures and weaknesses in, in how terrible a person I was apart from the work of Christ. God is absolute perfection, and to satisfy that perfection is impossible to do on our own. We can do just fine if we live lives comparing ourselves to others, but when we compare ourselves to a holy God, we quickly see how we are nothing. Someone may think they're a good basketball player, and then they watch Steph Curry play, right? Someone might think they're the smartest and most articulate theologian and then they read one of Paul's epistles. Someone might think that they're a good composer and then they listen to Mozart or a good guitar player and then they listen to Jimi Hendrix or something. Barclay says this, if we compare ourselves with our neighbor, we may well emerge very satisfactorily from the comparison. But the Christian standard is Jesus Christ and the demands of God's perfection. And against that standard, there is no room for pride. And he goes on to say, We're creatures, and for the creature, there can be nothing but humility in the presence of the Creator. So, humility comes when we see what we are apart from God, and we see how holy God is, and we realize what He has done for us in Christ's death and resurrection. Once we understand that, we can be moved to walk humbly. When we face each other as brothers and sisters, we don't have to be superior. We don't always have to be right. We humbly walk into each other's lives and situations and we care for one another because that's what Christ did for us. Then we move on to gentleness. This is the other building block along with humility that leads to love and unity. Gentleness can also be translated meekness. In our culture, gentleness... uh, that usually just means like compassionate or nice, or maybe means just having like a physical calmness, like maybe you talk soft or something. And, and while some of those are definitely aspects of this quality, the gentleness we see here in Ephesians is not, is not what our culture views as gentleness. Aristotle, the great thinker, liked to define virtues as a means between two extremes. So on on one end, he would have an excess of a quality. On the other end, there would be like a defect of it. So for gentleness, or in right in between, there would be, that would be the right proportion of that quality. So he, he would define gentleness as being between angry all the time or never angry at all. And the man who is meek or gentle is someone who is angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. So I think Paul would affirm that idea of gentleness it's okay to be angry at injustice and evil and oppression and in fact it's probably not a good thing if you never get angry when about the bad things in this world but gentleness also has an aspect of meaning power under control that's usually what we say meekness is Jesus is the great example of this We're talking about the God of the universe who at any moment could just destroy anybody for saying anything bad about Him, but instead, He went to the cross for us. Right? Instead of using His power, He remained gentle and He controlled it so He could bring about salvation for all of us people. I often think of what I would do with that power, right? Like somebody kind of looks at me funny and then I'm just like, Gone. Get out. Or I work at I work at Soma, which is a coffee shop in town. Um, and sometimes people like to get in line, and they don't really treat. They don't like to act like I'm a person. And when they do that, I like to just think, man, what could I do? Like just displace them to West Lafayette, or or something like that. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I. I joke, but what I'm getting at is we, we do easily abuse with our power. We do easily abuse our strengths. But we're called as Christians to live gently, to approach, to approach each other in a spirit of meekness, knowing that we're, we're lowly and Christ is the one that's working through us. So we don't get angry at the wrong time with one another. When someone does something that offends us or it hurts us, we can remember what Jesus endured for us. We approach conflict always between brothers and sisters with the end of reconciliation in sight. As members of the body of Christ, we have to show to each other in the world what humility and gentleness looks like. So, those two qualities are the building block traits of the others that follow. Once we grasp what it means to be humble once we understand what it means to be gentle, then we can be patient. We can move on to patience. Or long-suffering is another way that this can be translated. This long-suffering is the quality that approaches everything with an attitude of not giving up or giving in. I say humility and gentleness are like building blocks uh, because I don't think without... I think without them, long-suffering would be impossible, right? If someone thinks so highly of themselves, then they're going to go around being impatient because other people just don't get it. When we are humble, we approach others with the spirit of patience. Right? Christ is so patient with us, and because of that, we're free to be patient with others. We walk through each other's trials, tribulations, and sufferings. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to suffer with one another like Susup, suffering right down here. (laughs) This one's hard in our culture. The culture of comfort and security and independence infiltrates our churches whether we see it or not. It really, really does. Because when someone comes with real needs, it can be really hard to help out sacrificially. And in fact, one of the easiest things we do is probably just give our money, right? Like, I will give that person all the money in the world if they will just get off my back and not ask me to stop what I'm doing or to give up my plans or to go out of my way to help them, right? But we're called to walk in patience and long-suffering through all the muck and the mire and the grime of each other's lives, And that means also walking through people struggling in sin. Remembering we don't sanctify people. God through the Holy Spirit is sanctifying them. But we're simply called to long suffer as they work through the mess that sin leaves in their lives and that excess residue that kind of just spreads from that. We're called to truly care for them. So moving on, we also see that we are to bear with one another in love. I really like that Paul uses the word bear here. He's obviously not naive to what is going on in the churches, right? Even in Ephesus. He knows that churches are just kinda of like just like a, like a mosh pit of messed up people. And Redeemer is that. I like I like the line and I don't I don't know it exactly, but it's something about like where churches are not just clubs for for the holy and the righteous, but hospitals for the sick. Right? Paul knows it is a struggle to bear with one another in love. People are difficult to be around. We can, all, we can all shake our heads and be like, yes, yes, that's me. Right? Not, oh, no, I thought of that other person difficult. No, we're the difficult people. But the wonderful thing is we're still called to bear with one another. We're still called to love. And we can because of the love that Jesus has shown us. So Paul ends all of these practical verses with a call to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So later on in chapter 4, verse 13, Paul is talking about attaining the unity of faith. So we know that we are being built up as a church, right? A universal church. We're being built up and someday we will all be unified. And in a sense that unity has been already accomplished, but in another sense, we're also called to maintain that unity, right, by the power of the Spirit. Our unity has been purchased by Christ, but we're called to really live that out and show a full expression of what that means to the world here and now. So we learn that we're to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, literally like we want to be unified. Think of something that you really want to do or maybe somebody that you just really want to see imagine how eager you would be if you knew you could go do that thing or you could see that person you'd be pretty eager to get there you'd probably be thinking about it a lot it'd be on your mind and as soon as you had the opportunity you jump on it that's the type of eagerness that paul is talking about we're eager to keep unity amongst one another If you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you have the only tool you need to be humble and gentle, the only tool you need to be patient, the only tool you you need to love and bear with each other, and the only tool you need to want to be unified. So the Spirit is the only one that can bring about this true peace between us. If people, if we as Redeemer and the power of Jesus act humbly, humbly, and gently, and patiently, and lovingly, then real unity and peace will be found and seen. So we've seen the calling that we've been called to. And we also know kind of some of the practical ways that we're supposed to walk in that calling, but it can be tough sometimes to really grasp how to live in that worthy way But something we always have to remember and go back to is the grace that we've received through Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in verses 4 through 6, and he describes the basis of the unity that we have. He says this There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there's one body. This is referring to the one body, the universal church that is under Christ the head. And this transcends all barriers, all local churches and nations, even denominational lines it crosses. There's one spirit. The word for spirit could also be translated breath. The breath is the Spirit of Christ, and the body without breath is dead. There is no church without the Spirit. And we have that Spirit and we live in its power. There is one Lord. All true Christians everywhere are joined together by the one Lord Jesus Christ. The closest thing that the early church had to a creed was something along the lines of what we see in Philippians two eleven, where it says Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we believe. And that's what we're all about. There's one faith. This means that all Christians are bound together because of their surrender for the love of Jesus Christ, to the love of Jesus Christ. We take him for who he is and we submit to him. We don't pick and choose and decide kind of what we want to believe about him, but we accept what he says and we submit to it knowing that he loves us. There is one baptism. This is the baptism into Christ's body through the regenerating work of, of the Holy Spirit when someone becomes a believer in Christ, right? Water baptism is an outward sign of that, an outward sign of this inward reality of a changed life in Christ, and that act doesn't save anyone. It's simply a public confession of faith and showing others that you're committed to Christ and being publicly identified with Christ. There is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, this verse starts with just the greatest relationship that we have to God, right? Notice how it doesn't say that there is one God, and father, one God and judge or one God and ruler, right? It says, one God and father of all. It begins with the loving relationship of a father to a, to a son or a daughter. And it goes on to say that this loving father of all is over all, through all, and in all. He is sovereign over all, right? He's in control of the course of history. He is through all. He doesn't just sit up high over the course of history, right, and look down, but he comes close to us and he sustains all things and he guides all things. He is also in all. This is not meaning like some sort of uh, pantheism or universalism. He's talking about, he's not saying that God is like a thing in nature but his imprint is just in all of creation. We believe in a God-created, God-ruled, God-sustained, and God-filled universe. So we see here that we have absolutely all we need to live lives that are worthy of Jesus Christ. We should make serious efforts to rest in the power of Christ in us and live humbly and gently and we should be long suffering with each other stepping into each other's lives and caring for one another bearing burdens and loving. Jesus is really explicit in in John 13:34 through 35 he says this, "A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love" For one another. So the world sees how we love and they find that really, really attractive. Because deep down, everyone has a void that only God can fill. And when people get a taste of brothers and sisters loving each other well because of Jesus, they really are like, I want that. Whether they even know it or not at the time. And last, we should be eager to maintain unity by the power of the Spirit. And all that should propel us to go with the gospel and bring it to others. God has shown us in Ephesians that in Jesus he has brought to a disunited, fragmented, and broken world a way, the way to unity. And that unity can only be found in him. So God is fulfilling his purposes in history. He's building up the church of Christ and he's moving. He's doing it here in Bloomington, at Redeemer, and even at other churches. We have an opportunity here, especially in the season we're in, as we've just seen really gracious growth, to maintain unity and build each other up and care and love well. We have a chance to bring this restorative good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is in desperate need of him. So if you're here today and you have not made the step to commit your life to Christ, then I really pray and hope that you do. Christ came and lived the perfect life that you can't. And he died the death you deserved because of the sin in you. You can't do enough things to be right with him. You just need to simply put your faith in Jesus and rest in his grace. For those of us here who have accepted Jesus, then we need to be reminded of the exact same things. Only in him can we really be humble, gentle, patient, loving, and be unified. Jesus has accomplished everything for us, so we must respond in faith and out of the overflow of the joy we have in what Jesus has done, and solely in the power of the Spirit, live lives that are worthy of our calling. So now we're going to move into a time of communion. Uh, This is a time where believers come forward and we share in remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross. If you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then take this time to respond and to do that and to turn your life over to him and feel his peace and joy. Uh, here at Redeemer, if, also if, if you want to talk with someone about that, Pastor Matt will be in the back here and some other people will be here who will pray with you and talk with you. Um, here at Redeemer, we we tear off a piece of the bread and we dip it in the cup. We have juice and wine to take. Says your conscience leads you, the wine is on the ones marked with twine. I think they have the twine, yes. Cool, so let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Uh, again, I just thank you for what a joy it is to gather uh, as your church, to gather with brothers and sisters and people who want to love you. I just pray that... Um, You move in a mighty way here in Bloomington, even now over spring break as the city is half empty, I just pray that you still move, Uh, be with everybody who is away from us today and um, traveling around, and I just pray that as we we leave here, we, we rest in the power of your spirit and in Jesus, and that you just move us to be on mission for you in everything. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.